Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy Tuesday, the 27th. Happy Tuesday. Happy Mars Phoenix Land Rover Touchdown Day. Oh. Yeah, 2008. I celebrate privately. The 20, 2008, the 27th, uh, the, the Mars Phoenix uh, touched down on Mars to undertake a three-month study of the planet's geological history. Mm, yeah. So, you didn't yeah. Know, I mean, it sounds like you didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't. So <laughs> Where have you been, man? I don't know, but there you go. They did that, and Bob's your uncle. If you like Mars and Phoenix, you get a, a twofer today. That's right. So. These right. will get better. They will get better. I don't know. Just I, bear with us. I, I like the improv of it all. <laughs> it's strange. Hey, we're in Texas, and so are you if you're part of our church family, and it's still hot. Yep. Yep. Um, and we're still in Job. Yes, we are. And Job's still suffering. Poor guy. But we're not still in Acts chapter 7. No. We're now moving on to Acts chapter 8. Yes. So we get some uh, some progress there. We get to see what, what happens. Uh, but first, Job. And uh, in Job chapter 10, Job continues a plea to God is what the, the ESV title says there. They do okay with their titles <laughs> and stuff, but you know, whatever. They're no PJ Burner. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. But he begins, he, I loathe my life. Again, he's repeating that again. Man, I hate it. I will give free utterance to my complaint. Remember last time he said, I'm, I'm done playing any games. I'm going to speak in the distress and the bitterness of my soul. Yeah. He says it again, I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. And he's talking to God. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and to favor the designs of the wicked? Those are bold statements there. Sure is, man. Verse eight, your hands fashioned and made me and now you've destroyed me altogether. Verse 17, you renew your witness against me and increase your vexation toward me. You bring fresh troops against me. Why did you bring me out from the womb? Cease and leave me alone, verse 20, that I might find a little cheer. So, Pastor Rod, here's my question. Okay. Job chapter 1, verse 22. Very beginning, all of this unfolds, all of this befalls Job. He loses his possessions. He loses his servants. He loses his family members. He loses his sons and daughters. And it says, in all of this, Job did not charge God with wrong. Right? Right. We fast forward here to chapter 10. Have things changed? Is Job now guilty of charging God with wrong? Or maybe a different question, when we're suffering, is it okay for us to protest? Is it okay for us to be angry with God? Because it seems like Job is angry with God here. Man, I've had lots of conversations with people in my office, counseling-wise, and we always, always touch on Job because he's such a good example of wrestling with God in the midst of the suffering. But I do think, and I take the opinion that Job doesn't sin and charge God with wrong in chapter one, <laughs> but as the progress, uh, as the progress takes place here, as he continues to suffer, he's got boils, he's got scabs, he's, he's suffering from insomnia, he's got halitosis. I mean, just his life gets bad to worse uh, in a matter of, of moments, it seems. So when we get here and he charges God with wrong, and it's hard to read it otherwise, I, mm. I think he is sinning here. However, I think what God honors in Job's struggle and what he would honor in our struggle is our is our honesty with him. Even if that means, God, I'm really wrestling with how to understand this. I struggle with that. When I counsel people, I've often said, look, you can be honest with God, 
Um, but I would be very reluctant to say, yeah, it's okay to be angry with him. Mm. Because ultimately, as Job even confesses in the prior chapter, God's going to prove you wrong. If you if you try to go toe-to-toe with him and say, here's why you're wrong and here's why I don't deserve this, you're going to find that you're you're lacking. You're, you're going to be found wanting because there's never a time when you're getting anything uh, that you deserve. You, you've always gotten better than you deserve. Anytime that you're alive and you're breathing and your eyes see and your taste buds taste and your fingers touch, you're being given a mercy of God because you don't deserve that. Mm. We're all feeling that sense of entitlement when we want to shake our fist at God. Therefore, ever okay to be angry at God? I don't think so. I think we can express our anger and express our hurt and our frustration, but never to charge God with wrong as I think Job does here. So it doesn't sin in chapter one, but I do, I do think he sins throughout the entirety of his work God doesn't hold it against him because he wrestles with God and not in opposition to God necessarily. Mm, yeah, helpful for sure. Zophar's listening to, to Job say all these things and, and he takes issue with it. And he says, should a multitude of words, chapter 11, verse two, go unanswered and a man full of, uh, of, of talk be judged right? Look at what he says in verse six, similar to what you just said, Pastor Rod. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Like, Oh man, I'm on the wrong side here. Hold on. <laughs> I'm not trying to say I'm on the side of Zophar. <laughs> just saying. Well, uh, Pastor Zophar. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but but he's he's responded to Job. He's like, Job, hey, whoa, check yourself before you wreck yourself here, man. Oh, you, throw you, back. Yeah. You've got some, some remembering to do. Can you find out the deep things of God? Verse seven. Can you find out the limit of the almighty? Again, there's truth to what some of these advisors have to say here. Right. And, and he's saying it's, it's higher than the heaven. What, what do you really know? It's deeper than shield. What, what can you find out? Um, and so, so far is, is kind of checking him, but then I, I think where he errs is again, he draws the same conclusion at the end that the other three have done or the other two have done and, and said, look, yeah, you know what the answer is? You need to repent. You're doing something wrong. Repent and this will all get better. Just just repent and everything will be all better and you can keep moving. Um, and, and, and that's just not what is really going on. He's presuming to understand why God is doing this without understanding what was taking place in that divine council where God was addressing Satan and holding up Job as this paradigm of, of holiness and godliness. And, uh, and they're trying to understand things from that human perspective. And, and like we talked about a, a last episode of the episode before, I mean, we just got to be careful about that with our counsel, not presume that we understand why something is happening to someone else. Chapter 12, uh, Job replies to Zophar, and uh, and says, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. <laughs> Love that response, man. <laughs> I'm going to use that more often. A little sarcasm there. A little sarcasm, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, of course. Of course. Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think that all I got to do is repent and I'll be good? Sounds a little salty. A little bit. I have understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? In other words, like, duh. Tell me something I don't know, Zophar. <laughs> right? Thank you. Right? And then Job's just mourning. He's like, I've become a laughing stock to you guys. You think I'm a joke is, is basically what he's saying here. He's like, do you not think I, I know this? I called to God. He answered me back. A just and blameless man. I'm a laughing stock. Um, and then he goes down and he, he's talking about God. He's like, you want to know? I understand what, who God is. Verse 10, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Verse 13, with God are wisdom and might, and he has counsel and understanding. And this is the summation of Job's frustration is he's not questioning God's wisdom or his understanding. He knows God knows exactly why all of this is happening. And yet he's, his frustration is he, God's not responding to him. God's not revealing why he's doing this to him. And so Job is left to, again, in the waiting room of silence, strip himself bare 
metaphorically speaking, what what corner of my life do I have something going on that God, you're doing all this to me? And he's getting to the point, and he said this multiple times to his friends, I've got nothing. I've looked, I've examined, I've prayed, I've pleaded, I've got nothing. All I can see is pain and suffering, and I don't know why. And he's saying, and yet God knows. And that's that's his frustration there in verse 13, and that's even more frustration for him is God knows he's got the wisdom and he does all of these things. And that's the rest of, of chapter 12 there. He does all these things. He makes nations great. He destroys them. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He deprives the speech of those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. God does all of these things. And, and yet here I am. So what are some of the questions that you would encourage someone to ask? Job's asking lots of good questions. And maybe they're not the best though, because they're not getting at anywhere that he needs to be. And then certainly his friends aren't helping at all. So if you're going to help someone who's hearing Job right now, and they're thinking, man, I feel a lot like him. I'm suffering with these things, these maladies. What are some better questions you might encourage people to ask? I think one of the first questions that would be helpful is, Hey, what, what do you need from me right now? Like, what can I, what can I do to help you right now to come alongside you right now? Can I pray for you? Can I encourage you you know i mean in in our society in our culture we do different things like a lot of times somebody's suffering somebody's going through it we'll get meals together and organize meals to to bring to somebody who's going through a a valley right now and that seems simple and that's not going to take away their suffering but it shows them we love them and we care about them right um you know we can ask some probing questions and, and be careful about them but like hey how's your, your prayer life right now, right? How's your, your time in the word been recently? We can ask questions that are kind of meant to probe a little bit there to say, hey, if you've been neglecting some some spiritual disciplines in your life, this is a time to lean into those things, not to pull away from them. Um, so I think as, as counselors, we can ask some gentle questions and, and, and love people and encourage them with the scriptures at, at the same time. I think if we're the ones suffering, I think Psalm 139, when David says, Lord, search me, try my heart, know if there's any grievous way in me that I might be pure and blameless before you. Like, I think that needs to be a continual prayer in, in our in our hearts. I think the other thing, when we see the psalmist say, how long, oh Lord, I think that's an okay prayer to pray to God. Um, I think when, when we can be honest, like you were saying, not angry, but honest with God to say, God, it, it feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. It feels like I'm not getting through to you. But what I love about the psalmist is every time he has the, that moment, he he comes back to the things that he knows to be true about God. Mm. And there's that yet, yet I will trust in you because right. I will say to my soul, why are you downcast, O soul? Because hope in God, because, and then he, he reminds himself of good sound theology about who God is. So I think if we're the ones suffering, that's something for us to, to be sure that we're doing. Yes, being honest, not in an angry or vitriolic or accusatory way, but being honest with where we're at, but then also balancing that with the, the truth of this is who God is. Yeah, one, only one thing I would add to that and, and one recommendation one, I would say that the time to prepare for suffering is before you go through it. Amen. Uh, now would be the time for you. If you're not suffering, you should prepare for the time when God does allow the suffering and tragedy to come to your life because make no mistake, it will happen. And there's no, there's no question about that. It's a matter of time, really. But secondly, I would encourage you to pick up a resource by D.A. Carson called How Long, O Lord. I think right now it's in the second edition. And it would be well worth your time to not only read it, but to study it. He has study questions at the end of the chapters. He talks a lot about Job. It would be a great resource for you to have prior to experiencing any suffering because it will give you some mental fortitude on how to think about it and how to make yourself way th- to make your way through it without struggling in the way that Job does. Great book. Absolutely. Uh, second that recommendation. New Testament reading. We are in Acts chapter eight, 
in Acts chapter 8, we picked up or mentioned the guy for the first time last week, a young man named Saul, verse 58 of chapter 7. Here's Saul, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. What does that mean that he approved it, though? Well, he's there holding the the cloaks, and he's not necessarily the one that's picking up the the stones to participate. Did they submit an application to him? And he's like, yep, double stamp? Yeah, yeah, no. (laughs) Uh, No, but Saul at this point seems to be on the fast track to a pretty powerful position in Judaism. Right, second in command of Gamaliel. That's the one. (laughs) Um, the, the highest court of the the Jewish ruling body at the time was the Sanhedrin and they basically ran the show for the Israelites. And so Saul is, is, is on a fast track to, to being a a big time player in the Jewish circles and the Jewish, the, the Israelite uh, leadership circles. So he's there, he's participating in what's going on. He's giving approval to it. He may not pick up the stone, but he's, he's engaged in this process there. Okay. Um, but then notice it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. Mm, sounds like we're moving someplace. I wrote Acts Acts 1-8 next to that. Right. And that's because back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you guys remember, Jesus said, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth. Right. And here you have it. They are scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. So we the persecution, right? We've talked about this, right? God uses suffering and bad things to accomplish his purpose. And here we see this, the church is beginning to spread through the suffering that happens against them at the hands of, of Saul. Yeah. One thing I noticed here in verse two is that they buried Stephen. Uh, this is kind of a paradigm for what we experience today. When we, when a Christian dies, we, we typically don't burn them. We bury them. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why is first Corinthians 15, we're, we're burying the seed. We're expecting that seed to rise again. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the, one of the rationales that we would use to say, look, we have an expectation that our bodies will ultimately be resurrected. And so even if you have cremated a loved one or you're considering it for yourself, it's cheaper. I know there's lots of advantages to it. But one thing I would encourage you to consider as, as pastors, we'd love for you to think about having a burial, which is, again, a, a testimony of sorts to say that we expect that this body will be raised again to newness of life. Jesus will come back and make that body have another new and better life. Great point. Also, if if you find yourself in a situation where you have a loved one who is uh, dying or close to death and you are sitting there going, I don't even know where to begin, let me just encourage you, seek out your local church, seek out your pastors. Right. If you're part of our church, come meet with us. We will walk you through that. We, we can help you with that. And we have done that, unfortunately, because death is is a reality as a result of the fall. We, both Pastor Rod and I, have done funerals and, and mm-hmm. know how to walk through that process. And so uh, if you're part of our church, come meet with us and we will walk through that hard time with you. If you are not part of our church, uh, hopefully your your local pastor, wherever you are, will right. help you walk through that process. It says there in verse three, Saul was ravaging the church. And I, I was wondering, okay, what, what kind of word is is that? And it's a hapax legomena. Only appears once. Only appears one time in the entirety of the New Testament. Wow. And so when you do the word study on it, it says ravaging. <laughs> Only <laughs> like, that word. Okay. Um, but it's doing violence too. It's, it's, I mean, this is not a bump in the road. And, and, and if you know what's coming with, with chapter nine and this guy named Ananias, the reason why Ananias's reaction is going to be what it is, which again, spoiler alert, you'll see that is because of what's happening here at the beginning of chapter eight. Saul is a bad dude. He's zealous. He is, he's zealous. Oh, Philippians, huh? Mm -hmm. He is, is going to war against Christianity because in his conviction, this is a threat to 
God. Yeah. And that's what we need to understand. This is not the same as the Islamic terrorist who blows himself up and wants all of the Christians to die. Right. This is somebody who believes in Yahweh, believes in God, and thinks that, that Christianity is a deviation from that. And so um, that's what Saul is doing. But then we kind of get this meanwhile scene with another deacon. Another deacon. Another a powerful deacon, dude. Another powerful guy named Philip. Um, you'll notice in verse six, they said it, they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The, the miracles, the signs. So even the deacons are, they've got this miracle to validate the message that we've talked about so many times Crazy. in the book of Acts. And so they're doing things and people are standing up and taking notice. In fact, Simon, the magician is one of those guys that pays attention and is like, Hey, mm. what's going on there? And uh, he had previously been doing some miracles, but or not miracles, but but magic tricks. And he was capturing the attention of, of the crowds and yet nothing like what they were doing. Uh, but before we get to what happens to Simon there, there's this interesting scene here because it says that there were many of the, the Samaritans who believed as a result of what Philip was preaching and a result of what the, the disciples were preaching and others were preaching there, right? He was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and in the name of Jesus Christ. And it says they were baptized, both men and women. Now jump down to verse 14. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria, okay, that's a loaded word there. The Samaritan Jew relationship. Remember that in the background here, right? Mm -hmm. When they remembered that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to Peter and John who came down and prayed for these people that had already been baptized and trusted in Jesus. They prayed for these people that they would receive the Holy Spirit who had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't believe that that's the way things work today. Right. We believe that when a person repents from their sins and puts their trust in Jesus, they receive the Spirit at that moment. That 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 is a, a one transaction kind of a, a situation here. You're not going to call for the pastor to come lay their hands on somebody to receive the Holy Spirit. So why did it happen here? Well, again, it goes back to the Samaritan-Jew relationship here. And I think as the gospel is spreading into the region of Samaria, a region where there was still a lot of racial tension between the Samaritans and the Jews, there was going to be question back in, in Jerusalem, and there was going to be question among some of the other Israelites, is this legitimate? Is their faith legitimate? Does God want Samaritans to be a part of what he's doing here? And when the apostles come from Jerusalem, when Peter and John come and they lay their hands and they, they, the, the spirit comes as a result, it's that validation of the faith that these Samaritans are then expressing. We're going to see something similar later on in the book of Acts uh, again with the, the Gentiles. But here with the Samaritans, this is kind of, why is this happening? This has happened to validate the faith of the Samaritans to say this is legitimate. Right. Even though the, the worship on Mount Gerizim there in Samaria between the Jew and Samaritan, the, Jesus himself himself said, you, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. Right. So here now it, it, it's a new dispensation with the church and the, 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 the apostles are there to say, this is valid. This is legitimate. Yeah. We take for granted that the gospel is for everybody, but at this time of the church's history, this was still being developed. This was a new thing. Acts chapter one, verse eight, the gospel was going to these various areas, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Starting in chapter eight of the book of Acts, we now have a shift from Jerusalem now to, to Judea and Samaria. And through the conversion of Paul slash Saul, you're going to see the ends of the earth be reached. So here it's incredibly important that the church recognize, even for the apostles, Peter and John, that they recognize that God is doing something different. The Samaritans are included in this paradigm and as are the ends of the earth. So this is a massive, super important point in the church's history where they needed to have that authorization, so to speak. Peter and John could say, yes, this is the work of God. This is the spirit of God. We are proof of this. As the rest of the chapter unfolds, uh, Simon wants to do what they're doing. 
And Simon thinks that, well, maybe I can bribe my way into being able to do this. And so he comes with his money and he says, hey, let me pay you and and then let me do what you're doing. No doubt what he's done before. Right. Right. Exactly. Teach me your tricks. Teach me how to do these things. Right. And, uh, and Peter says to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You've neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, uh, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. This is a reminder that someone's profession does not necessarily equal the fact that they're a, a true follower of Jesus. Yikes. Because Simon was one that it said earlier, even Simon, verse 13, even Simon himself believed and he was baptized. Wow. And yet the fruit that's born reveals that he was not truly a follower of Christ. And and Peter's language is pretty strong there. Uh, And Simon says, pray for me uh, to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And we don't know what happens to him. And we don't. We don't know what happens. I wish there was more there. Right. Um, but it's a reminder to us that we need to be careful and we need to be slow when someone professes faith to be too eager to give them any sort of false confidence. And that's one thing that we do here at the church at at, at Compass Bible Church. If a child, a a young child professes faith in Christ, we're going to be slow on, on that next step of baptism because the last thing that we, we want them to do is for that young child to say, well, pastor Rod baptized me or pastor PJ baptized me. So I'm good with God because they baptized me. We want to make sure their faith is in Christ and in Christ alone. Yep. And so uh, we, we're not denying that somebody could be saved at a young age. We're just going to say, hey, we don't want to, to be baptizing Simons potentially here. We want to make sure that we're seeing genuine fruit. Born. Yeah, and th- that doesn't mean that we don't nurture someone's faith, obviously. Right. To the contrary, we, we want to walk with people and help them to understand what it is that they've professed faith in and to help them have a much fuller, richer understanding of the gospel so that when they do get baptized, it's an expression of their understanding and awareness of what the gospel is and what their right response was. Totally. Totally. Well, thanks for tuning in again. And uh, here's one more takeaway of something that happened on this date, Uh-oh. June 27th. We did back a podcast. In, in 2003, the do not call list became a thing. Praise the Lord. Right? Thank you, Jesus. That's something encouraging to end your your, your morning uh, DBR time with is the do not call list came into being. Hey, we're thankful that you've called upon us oh. for the podcast this time. and uh, <laughs> Not even going to charge you for that one. No. That's free. And we we will catch you again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Keep reading your Bibles. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm -hmm.